The scripture passage this evening is Hebrews chapter 11, all the way to chapter 12, verse 3. Should be one that's familiar to you. It's called the Hall of Faith. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1,874. 1,874. Hear now the reading of God's word. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for, commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, And holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the, com- made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of, the jo- each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. 
He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and rooted foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're going to be looking as well at Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It can be found in the back of your Psalter hymnals on page 14. I'll read both the questions and the answers. Are all men saved through Christ just as all were lost through Adam? No, only those are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his blessings. But what is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true, it is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, Not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. What then must a Christian believe? Everything God promises us in the gospel. That gospel is summarized for us in the articles of our Christian faith, a creed beyond doubt and confessed throughout the world. What are these articles? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
teaching of the catechism. Maybe many of you remember the scene from the Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade, where they're going in to find the Holy Grail, and Indiana Jones' father is hurt, he's dying, and so Indiana has to go forward, and he has to get the Holy Grail, because that's the only way that he's going to be able to heal his dying father. And he comes to this place where there's this great chasm between where he is and where he needs to go, and he's told that you have to leap. You have to leap across this, and this great chasm. And he said, there's no way that I could jump that far. There's no way that I could reach that. And the whole time, Sean Connor is in the other uh, room saying, you have to believe, son. You have to believe. I do my accent, but I don't think I could pull it off. And the whole point of this scene is that it's a leap of faith, right? It's a phrase that we hear often, a leap of faith. And this, um, this thing that he's called to do, it's actually just an optical illusion. There's a bridge there, but it's camouflaged, so you can't see it. And so he puts his foot out and he realizes that there's a bridge there that he just couldn't see. But it's a leap of faith. And, and, and this is a, a, a phrase that we use when we describe something of what faith means, right? But I want to say it's not really the full picture of what faith is. Faith isn't just you don't know, so you're just going to make a leap of faith. Actually, I would say that's more like hope. You hope there's a bridge there. You hope that there's something there. Faith is different than that. It's not, it's not a leap out into emptiness. It's not a, I don't really know what's there, but I'm going to jump anyway. The catechism tells us this. The scriptures tell us this. That the faith is more than that. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Our theme this evening is that true faith is how we are united to our only comfort. True faith is how we are united to our only comfort, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It says here right at the beginning that only those who are saved by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his blessings, receive all his blessings. And, and that's, how, that's what we need to look at today is how does true faith unite us to Christ, unite us to Christ and make us recipients of all his blessings. And the way we're going to break this down is really kind of like middle school English class. Who, what, when, where, why, right? We're going to look at how. We're going to look at why we must believe, how we, must be, or how we come to believe, and what we believe. So why we must believe, 
how we come to believe and what we believe. So why, how, and what? And that's basically how the catechism um, breaks down the questions. So let's look at this first point, why. Why we must believe. So at the end of Lord's Day 6, uh, we're told that there is this mediator. We're told that there is this person who, where, whom in which we can find our escape, we can find our salvation from our state of condemnation and judgment. And we're told that we discover this in the gospel. The gospel that is throughout the scriptures. The gospel that points to Christ. And then the question that responds to this, the question that's in reaction to this, that's sort of a natural uh, follow-up, is that, well then, um, just as all men have, been, uh, have fallen in, in Adam... Are all men saved in Christ? Just as all men have fallen in Adam, are all men saved in Christ? Is that what Christ's work is accomplishing? Is this mediator the one who is the new Adam, the one who comes and he undoes all the work that has happened, all the fallenness that has come through Adam? Um, this is a very serious question. It's a question that's still asked today. Um, it's a question that often brings up concepts of fairness. Um, why is it exactly that uh, there is a condemnation, universal condemnation of all humanity in Adam, but there's not a universal salvation in Christ? And there are many who believe this. They, there are many who believe that since all men fall in Adam, that means all men are saved in Christ and they're called universalists. That's what they believe. They believe that everyone will be saved. Just as everyone fell in Adam, everyone will be saved in Christ. But that's not all the data. The data is not there for that. The scriptures did not reveal that. They say there's another element that we need to bring to the table. There's another element that we need to add to this. And that's what the catechism says. Not only those are saved who by true faith, who by true faith are grafted into Christ, are united to Christ, joined with Christ. Another good passage that we could have used for, uh, for this evening would have been uh, where Christ talks about that he is divine and we are the branches, that we are in Christ, that we are grafted into him, united with him. It's by true faith that this happens. It's by true faith that this occurs. And this question of true faith, of course, brings up the question of, well, if there's a true faith, isn't there a false faith? If there's a true faith, isn't there a counterfeit faith? If there's a true faith, then we need to know what that true faith looks like. We need to know what that true faith requires. Because if this is the only way that we can escape condemnation from our sins and be united to Christ and, and receive our only comfort in life and in death, 
This is the only way that all those who are fallen in Adam, some can be saved in Christ, then what is this true faith? Why must we believe? That's the question that we're we're answering right now. Why we must believe? Well, the answer is because true faith is the only way to receive Christ. True faith is the only way to receive Christ. Here we are in Lord's Day 7, and we've talked a lot about what we deserve because of our sins. We've talked a lot about what we deserve because of our sins against God, that we deserve eternal conscious condemnation. And we're told, though, that there is a mediator. There is a way in which we can escape the condemnation that we deserve and the one who is truly man, truly God, who lived the perfect life that we should have lived, who died the sinner's punishment that we should have died. And we need to ask ourselves, why then must we believe? Because that's how we receive Christ. That's how we are united to him. That's how we escape the condemnation that we deserve. The author of Hebrews speaks of this as he is seeking to convince these Jews who are thinking about going back to the old covenant ways, seeking to convince them that there is not a way to go back to because Christ is the new and living way. They're saying, let's go back to the synagogue. Let's just sort of hide underneath the, 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 the disguise of being Jews. But yeah, we believe in Jesus. But, but we're kind of hiding underneath these, this old covenant umbrella so that we don't stir the pot, so that we don't cause any issues. And, and the, the author to, uh, of, the he, of the letter to, of the Hebrews goes as far to say, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith as the author of Hebrews describes it, is a certainty, is a hope. And we need to ask ourselves, what, what exactly does he mean here? Well, as he goes on to describe all the patriarchs and all the names of the Old Testament and all the prophets and all the people in Israel, Moses, Jacob, Abraham, he's saying their faith was based upon something that they were looking forward to. Their faith was based upon something that they were hoping for. They could not see it yet, but they were waiting for it. They were longing for it. They were hoping for it. See, even in that picture, that first verse... One that's often quoted, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's not an entire cap encapsulation of what faith is. I mean, a real easy way to figure that out is by going later in this very same passage at verse 6 and saying, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There is a need to know, Right? We're going to get to that. But this is important. This is the first thing that we need to understand is why we must believe. Because it's the only way of salvation. 
Why we must have true faith? Because it's the only way in which we receive Christ's perfect work on our behalf. It's very easy at this point, though, to be asking ourselves, well, then isn't this sort of our one good work, our one work that we do, right? It's to have faith. That's the one thing that we bring to the table. We don't bring anything else, but we do bring that one thing to the table. We do bring that, that faith. And that's why we have to continue on in the catechism, continue on, and we have to see, even in God's Word in Hebrews, as we're looking at, how it is that we come to believe. It's important that we know that we need to have true faith, but it's also important that we need to know how we come to true faith. How is that that people who are dead in sins and trespasses, people who have turned away from God, whose hearts are depraved, can have true faith, can believe in this mediator, can want the salvation that he offers? And the catechism answers that question by describing for us, defining for us what true faith is. And these are the things that are listed. It's knowledge, or you could say even a conviction. But also a deep-rooted assurance. I love the definition given here because it helps us see where our ideas of faith can go wrong, where the concept of a leap of faith is even a short-sighted view of what faith is. And it helps us to understand rightly what the author of the letter of Hebrews is talking about in chapter 11 and 12 when it speaks of faith. True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word. So this knowledge and conviction is toward God's revelation, his word, what he has given to us, right? So we could say, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see but it's also being sure of what we read and know to be true in God's Word. How is it that we can know that God exists and that He really rewards those who earnestly seek Him because that's what God's Word tells us, that God is real, that He does exist, that He created the world that we live in, that He made us in His image. Knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in His Word is true. It's also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit. Through the Gospel. One thing that we need to understand is that when we look at the Catechism, we should not, uh, we should not make too much of a distinction between God's Word, 
and the gospel when they speak of it, right? God's word and the gospel. If you remember, the last question on Lord's Day 6 is, how do you come to know this about the mediator? The Holy Gospel tells me, right? But when they said the Holy Gospel tells me, did they say right at the beginning of the New Testament when Matthew starts? No, they didn't say that. They said, he began to reveal the gospel in paradise. That's Genesis 1, 2, 3. Proclaimed it to the holy patriarchs and prophets. Betrayed it by the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law. Fulfilled it through his own dear son. So gospel and God's word are the same. You know what? We shouldn't be shocked by that because Jesus comes after his resurrection. And he tells his disciples that the law, the prophets... The Psalms, that is a summary of what all the Old Testament was about, was pointing to him, to his death, to his resurrection. And that's what all of God's word is about. It points to Christ. It points to him. It points to our mediator. And so when the catechism is telling us the true faith is a knowledge and conviction that everything that God has revealed to us in his word is true. It's also a deep-rooted assurance created in us by the Holy Spirit. See, there you go. That gets us off the hook for the one good work thing that I was talking about, right? True faith is not the one thing that we put forward. True faith is put in us. It's created in us by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. True faith is something that is produced in broken, depraved, sinful people when they hear the proclamation of God's word and the Holy Spirit accompanies it to believe, to help them believe in the gospel, the good news. And this is very important, the time in which this catechism was written, because at that time... The counter-argument for faith was not a knowledge and a conviction and an assurance. This is often called, um, uh, fiducia is the trust, right? It's the Latin word for trust. Knowledge is notitia, knowledge. So we have a group, a collection of knowledge that we have, but that's not good enough, right? Remember what it says in the book of James. It says, you believe? Oh, so do the demons, and they tremble. So Satan has knowledge. Satan knows more about God and the scriptures than any, any of us here. Satan has a conviction that these things are true. But Satan does not trust Satan does not rest in what God has promised and cling and hold to those things, right? And the Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation, the time when the Heidelberg Catechism was written, encouraged all of its members to be good sons and daughters of Jesus? No, of the church. And what they encouraged their members to have was called implicit faith. Implicit faith is sort of like 
When you tell your kids, well, would you jump off a bridge if so-and-so told you? Right? Implicit faith is someone says, this is what we believe, therefore you must believe it. Implicit faith is a lot like a leap of faith. Well, I don't know if that's true. I haven't seen that for myself. I don't see that anywhere in God's word, but they said we must believe it. That is not what the catechism is telling us to have. That is not what God's word is telling us to have. God's word is telling us that everything that we have had revealed to us in this, from front to end, that we have privileged access to, that we are to study it and to know it and to grasp it and to understand it, but we are not simply to store up a brain full of useful facts from God's word and quote from you everything that we could possibly quote from you. This is important because in, in our Reformed tradition, we like heady people. We like you know, smart people that are kind of cerebral and have lots of their I's and T's and they got those things all dotted and, you know, their theology is all in line. But that's not the question here is, do you trust? Do you have a deep-rooted assurance created in you by the Holy Spirit, by the gospel? I don't care. If you know how many articles are in the canons of Dort, I don't care if you can quote from me from beginning to end Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I want to know if you see Jesus Christ and you trust him, you rest in him, you rest in his perfect work. And that's what the author of the book of Hebrews is bringing before his audience He's saying all these people in the Old Testament, they trusted because they were looking forward. They trusted because they were looking towards something they could not see. They had faith. They had a trust. They had a resting in what Christ was going to do, what Christ was going to accomplish. But then here at chapter 12, it transitions. And the letter says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And what? Do what? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author just like we talked about here, the deep-rooted assurance created in us by the Holy Spirit. Christ here in the book of Hebrews is called the author and perfecter. Another way that we could say this is the completer, the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you want to understand why the author of the book of Hebrews is talking about faith here, why he's saying that, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see is that he was telling this audience, he was telling these Jews who wanted to go back to the old ways, that what you're going back to is away from what all of your fathers of the faith were looking toward. Don't go back, look back. 
now where you stand in redemptive history and look to Christ, the author, the perfecter, the finisher, the completer of our faith. Trust in him as all of these people who came before you were doing. Do you understand that as he's speaking to his audience, he's not saying faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see in concern to Christ. They saw, we know, we see, we have revelation of Christ's completed work. The question is, are we going to believe it? Are we going to trust in it? Are we going to make it our own by true faith? It's not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. It's also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven and been made forever right with God and have been granted salvation. There's a communal aspect to this faith, isn't there? There's an individual aspect, of course. We all have our personal salvation, our personal relationship with Christ, but we are all united to him. We join together. Not only I, but others also. Not only I, but others also have had my sins forgiven been made forever right with God, been granted salvation. So that's how we come to believe. It's a work of God. It's a work of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to bring us into union with our only comfort. We've talked a little bit about what we believe already, but that's where the catechism goes to next. And talks about this essentia, this knowledge, right, that we are to have. There, there's a content in what we believe. That it's not empty platitudes. That there's content to what we believe. That's what question and answer 22 and 23 are about. What then must a Christian believe? Everything God promises us in the gospel. Everything God promises us in his word. And that gospel is summarized for us in the articles of our Christian faith, a creed beyond doubt and confessed throughout the world. So we're called to believe in everything. Everything that God promises us. In the gospel. This is the content of our faith. As we continue to go forward in the catechism and we look at these different articles, when we look at that, we're not so much asking what we believe, but we're going to be looking at who we believe, right? Who God the Father is, who God the Son is, who God the Holy Spirit is, but what you not understand is we cannot bifurcate the what and the who. Because the content of our faith means nothing without the persons of our faith, without the who. Everything promised to us in the gospel comes from God. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, as you all know, the articles of this creed are the Apostles' Creed. And it quotes us for it, quotes us, quotes us the whole thing here, right off the bat. And as we go on, it's what it does is it breaks down the creed for us, the different articles, different sections that we're going to look at. And I don't know, though, if you've ever really taken a moment to, as we confess the Apostles' Creed together, or the Nicene Creed together, to consider the words of question and answer 22 in the Heidelberg Catechism, that when you do that, don't simply make it routine. Don't simply make it meaningless. Don't simply make it something that you've done so many times over and over again that you're just sort of going through the motions. But ask yourself that when we read, when we confess what we believe as we confess together the Apostles' Creed, are we thinking about how this is everything that God has promised us in the gospel? How this is speaking of the knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in His Word is true, a deep-rooted assurance created in us by the Holy Spirit through the gospel, that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, been made forever right with God, been granted salvation. Are you thinking about those things as we confess the creed together? This is a summary of everything that God has promised us in the gospel. So, of course, there's a why we must believe. Of course, there is a how we come to believe. And there's the content of what we believe listed for us in the Apostles' Creed. What we need to grasp, what we need to walk away from this with is a true faith is how we are united to our only comfort. But we need to be marveling at the grace of God that we have true faith that we are united with Christ, that we are resting in Him, that we not only know about Him, but that we trust Him. You understand the difference there, right? We can know a lot about a, a celebrity or a famous person. We can know a lot about an athlete that we keep up with and we check the stats on, but do we trust them? As the Holy Spirit has created in faith, created true faith in us by the gospel, we have come to not only know what we believe, but who we believe in Christ. That we have been united to our only comfort and we receive all his benefits, all his blessings through that union that we have. That is the bond that sustains us in all of our life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have granted, gifted us true faith in Christ. We praise you for that union that we have with Christ. That he is the vine, that we are the branches, that as long as we remain in him, we will bear fruit.
We pray we do, Lord. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. who died to purchase our true faith, to give us a deep-rooted assurance. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.